I, of course, did request that song. I am from the 45th best state in all the land, uh, Alabama. And uh, I was born there. I was raised there until I was about 11, and then we moved. And uh, you'll see how that's all relevant in a second. I love movies. I grew up watching movies. How many like movies? Are you big any movie fans today? If you have not noticed, uh, we have a theme going on for the whole month of July. On the end of your rows, we have a little treat for you. And uh, there's taffy, uh, one of many uh, favorite uh, movie foods. Grab the cup, grab one, pass it down. If you get to the end of the row and there's still some left, you can take the rest or you can choose to pass it back down. That's okay. We're going to have different kind of movie foods each week. And uh, we're going to feature a different movie each week. Now, I grew up, I told you, watching movies. What is your favorite movie of all time? Think about it for two seconds and just scream the first thing that comes to mind. What is it? All right, tell your neighbor real quick what you may or may not have said. What's your favorite movie of all time? All right, I grew up, which is kind of funny because in the Church of the Nazarene, in our early beginnings, we were very, like, kind of strange about movies, but I went to movies all the time. Favorites, Karate Kid, Indiana Jones, uh, growing up, Star Wars, of course. Um, But you might be asking yourself, why movies? Why are we doing this at church? That feels weird. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus, he was a storyteller. He would do anything he could to connect the dots between God and with people. And so he would use stories like parables. He'd use metaphors. He would use everyday things in life. Paul, when he would go around to different churches, he would actually invite people by talking about poets of the day and cultural events and historical things that had happened to try to connect people to God. And that's what our our hope is for the the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at a feature every single week. And the first one is this movie called Woodlawn. Now, has anyone seen the movie Woodlawn before? All right, a handful of you. Fantastic. If you haven't seen it, great, because you're going to get to see a lot of it today. I wish that, honestly, I could. If we had the time, I would just push play, and we would just watch the whole thing. It's that good. I invite you to do that maybe some other time. I'm going to show you lots of clips from it. We're going to talk about it a little bit. But honestly, I just need to kind of get out of the way a little bit for the movie. But to set it up, uh, Woodlawn is a true story, and it is uh, based on uh, 1970s Alabama. In fact, one of the most racially divided cities in all the nation at the time was the city of Birmingham, Alabama. And it's called by some at the time the most segregated, the most divided city in our country. And after a government-mandated Mandates the schools began began to become desegregated, and even though they began to become desegregated, there was racial tension everywhere, and especially in Birmingham, where there were riots and bombings. So many bombings. I think there were what I heard was the number fifty over in that period of time. Fifty different bombings in the city, and they were beginning to call it Bombingham, Alabama, and violence just erupted everywhere. Even the governor, the the governor was a part of the tension when maybe you remember, if you're old enough, that he was in front of the University of Alabama trying to stop uh, people of color coming into the, the university. And he famously, or infamously said, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. 
Now, by the year 1973, this is 10 years after Martin Luther King Jr. had his famous speech, I Have a Dream, and beginning to paint a picture of, of a different a vision for our country. Uh, the, the, the high school of Woodlawn was one of the, the last schools to, to actually desegregate. And so at the time, they were beginning to bus African-American students into the school. And uh, so this movie is all about that time and all about this high school. And it features two characters uh, you're going to get to know a little bit. First is uh, Coach Gerald's. His name's Tandy Gerald's. He's the coach of the football team uh, at Woodlawn. And then football player uh, Tony Nathan. So introduce you to the very true story of Woodlawn. The Apostle Paul, uh, in many ways, was kind of born with a, a silver spoon in his mouth. He was from the upper group in Jewish society, the, those that had. And, and with that kind of background, he was he's very highly educated. He's probably well off, and he, he, he looked down on other people. He, he looked down at people that were maybe poor, of other races, who were, who were not like him, who were not fully Jewish, and didn't have the background he, that he had, the education that he had, that, that viewed God the way that he did. But Paul had an encounter with Christ. He, he actually, his name was Saul, and then it became Paul when God did a work in his life. And he began to, to spread this good news of, of what God had done in him to different places. And he writes to the church in Corinth, and, and we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. He says this as he's writing to the church and, and talking about why he's talking so much about Jesus. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. We stopped evaluating people from a human point of view. Now, have you ever been, or when, maybe the better question is, when was the last time you were in an interview? You're sitting across the table from someone, and they maybe have a, a pad, or they're asking you questions behind a computer. Have you been in that situation lately or, or ever? If you would just shake your head and participate in some way. Thank you. All right. Isn't that the worst situation where you're just sitting there and you're like, okay, now how should I respond to this question? Or what are they thinking? What are they looking for? And they're beginning to ask questions to prod and to prune. And you're sweating from your hands and other places in your body. And you're nervous. And you just know that they're just like categorizing you. They're just putting you, okay, is he, is he lazy? Is he smart? Where is his background? Or where is she from? Where, how is she going to work here? Blah, blah, blah. And just categorizing different people right in front of you. Now, have you ever gotten the chance to be the person behind the desk, to ask the questions, and you're looking at the resume, you're, you're asking different prodding things along the way. You know, I think in many ways, we're kind of taught to do this all the time. We encounter people all the time. Today you did. Uh, when you see somebody in the grocery store in various places, we kind of stop and we begin kind of the interview process. But it's in our mind instead. Let's see, that white, Black, Asian, maybe they're an immigrant, maybe they're illegal, maybe from Brazil, Mexican, I'm not sure. Are they from this country or not from this country? Are they from Texas? Because they have to be from Texas, you know, because we're 
Texans. And, uh, well, now I feel like a Texan. Uh, man, woman, man who used to be a woman, woman who used to be a man. Uh, are they well-educated? Nice clothes, nice car, make a lot of money, well-off, not-so-nice clothes, shabby, tattered, probably poor. Volkswagen bug, must be a hippie. Um, let's see, skinny jeans with uh, facial hair, square glasses, and some kind of plaid or hoodie on. Hipster, uh, let's see, uh, what are the things? Uh, smells kind of bad or does smell bad, uh, wearing old kind of clothes, looks sweaty all the time, smells like Axe, Cologne, junior high boy, uh, right there. <laughs> is this person an atheist, a Catholic, a Baptist, a gay, straight, in shape, fat, pretty, skinny, dumb blonde, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, hmm, Yankee, that was one I heard growing up in Alabama, that, they're Yankees, and by the way, I'm trying my best not to bring the accent out today, uh, but it's hard because it's kind of stuffed down as far as I can get it, uh, ghetto, pothead, oh, they're just, look at the tattoos all over that person, divorced, single, widow, how many categories do we have now? I feel like there's a ton, but we just go through this mental process with everyone we're meeting. We're analyzing, what if every conversation you had in your head like that was on a giant screen behind you? Whoo! Wow. That would change things, wouldn't it? As Paul's saying, I, we used to view people from a human point of view. A human point of view. I kind of see that picture behind as we see people with our eyes. Based on our past experiences based on the categories that we've created and society has gotten better and better at dividing us into these categories, right? And creating this tension that's there. And I think there's this other category for Paul that's applicable for all of us. It's the me category. Looking at people from a self-centered perspective. I see this with husband and wife, with family members. What is this person going to do for me? How, what am I getting out of this relationship? You know, is it any, it, it, what's the point if it's, if it's not me-centered? Self-centered, self-gratifying, self-glorifying. Seeing people from a, a me perspective. And what Paul says is this. We even look at Jesus like that. What is, what is this guy? What can he do for me? He, was, he's, he is poor, as Paul was looking at Jesus. Poor, carpenter from a nobody family. And, and who's this guy to come into town to say this is the way things are? I mean... He's challenging everything that we're doing, the way that we see life. He's taking away our power. He's taking away our position. Some people, you know, they just don't change. Can people change? I guess that's a good question for us today. Can people change? Is it possible for people to change? And, and if it is, what is going to change us? What's going to change the people around us? What is, what's going to change us maybe even as a country? It's a question that they're asking throughout this movie. Check out this scene. I know what you're thinking. When did Rudy become a chaplain? Uh, <laughs> and he, he put on a little weight, too. Uh, it's been a few years for him. But uh, true story, Hank Irwin went to a, an expo, a, a revival, in 1972. And uh, it was led by a guy you might have heard, name, heard of by the name of Billy Graham. 
And uh, at, this, at this event, Erwin uh, gives his life to the Lord for the first time. He is on fire for Jesus. And he goes out and he wants to make a difference. He becomes a sports chaplain. And that day, the whole team wasn't saved at Woodlawn, but over 40 players on the team gave their life to the Lord. And it sparked something amazing. As you see with the team, it began to just work throughout the entire team, bringing the players together, bringing the entire high school together as healing started to happen between people because of Jesus in the midst of it all. Now, as, as, as Coach Tandy was watching all of this and observing how it began to work on him and his life as well. Check out this next scene. Through Coach Gerald and star player Tony Nathan and Hank, the chaplain, this spark just erupted out of Woodlawn High School into a revival. Now, I don't know if you've heard that, that word before. It's kind of a church word, revival. And we used to say it a little bit more often. We'd gather in places like tents and sing songs. And these revivals wouldn't just last for a couple of days. They sometimes would last for weeks. People coming to church every day for a week. Can you imagine it? And then maybe even a couple of weeks. And then a month. And these, these revivals, they, they sparked in this, this time of gathering and singing and thinking and, and, and the spiritual focus and people giving their lives to the Lord and renewing their faith and telling others, going out, inviting, come to this revival, come hear about this Jesus that can transform lives. People packing out even stadiums, places around the world. And that's what happened. A revival just exploded at Woodlawn High School. And so much so, they, they kept winning throughout that season. They faced their rival team, uh, Banks Jets, the Banks Jets. They'd won two state championships under the leadership of their coach, Shorty White, which is just a, a great uh, name, George Shorty White. Uh, I think his name is the actor C. Thomas Howell plays him in the movie. And the coach at this point has, has been an antagonist. He is the guy that is uh, on the other side of, of reconciliation. He is the person making fun of uh, the Christians and making fun of the, the, the team. And uh, something happens. Tony Nathan and Hank, the chaplain, they come together with some players from Woodlawn. And they invite the team Banks over after the season's done. And they, say, they begin to share the good news with this other team as well. And so the exact same thing hap that happened at Woodlawn happened at Banks. And the first person that went down the aisle to give his life to the Lord, Shorty White. And so now there are two teams that are rivals, but now on fire for the Lord. And this exploded out into the whole city. And people began to hear more about what was going on. And people were, were, were coming to know the Lord and, and lives were being changed. And hope was ignited in Birmingham, Alabama. So much so, before the huge game between these two rival schools, before the culmination of the, the, the movie, they had a massive pep rally with Banks and Woodlawn, two rivals coming together under one banner. Check out this scene. Paul, uh, the same guy who, who called himself the chief sinner of all sinners, the one that categorized people, maybe more than any of us, would, would say these words. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew or non-Jew, slave and free, male or female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in common relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ transformed Paul's eyes and his heart and began to do a work in him and through him, so much so that God would use Paul to reach out to the Gentiles, to us, by the way. And he would say this as he's continuing to write to the people in Corinth. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, they become a new person, a brand new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. That is that is great news, people. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Now, reconciliation, reconcile, that's not a word that we use very often. It means to bring into harmony. A lot of times people will use it with finances, but bring into harmony, harmony or to make things right. Now, what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean is to, to make things even. Or to, to, to make things even that way. When I was a kid in, uh, in the playground, if somebody would hit you, justice is what? You get to hit them back, all right? And then if you were really a, kind of a jerk in that process, you'd put your, your middle knuckle out and you would, we used to call that frogging someone. I don't know what the kids call it now, but it hurts, okay? But there would be this back and forth, well, you hit me, I'm going to hit you right back. What I've found is this, is that when people hurt us, there's not getting even. When, when people have said things to hurt us or done things to, to hurt us, no amount of jail time or torture or punishment is going to make up for it. It's not going to get even. If you've been abused or hurt, someone dying for that crime is not going to bring someone back. We're not going to get even. That's not what being reconciled is all about. It's about making things right and bringing harmony into a situation. Can I tell you this? You can't make things even with God. What he tells us is this, is that every single one of us is a sinner. And that none of us, none of us can do enough good works to make things even with God for our sin. He says it this way in Romans uh, 3. 22 through 24, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, and we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace, grace is what brings that harmony, makes things right with other people, makes things right with God, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. We couldn't make things right. So Jesus had to do something for us. He had to do something for us. And that's why he died on the cross for each one of us. That's why he gave us grace and mercy that we could do. He did what we could not do for ourselves. And that brings peace and harmony in our hearts. And it can do that for our relationships with people as well. Jesus said it this way, I am the truth, I am the way, and I am the life. I was in a Spanish, our Spanish service at 4.30 last week, and, and Antonio gave his testimony. And he basically said this, I was a mess. I was a mess. I had tried everything. I tried drugs, I tried alcohol, I tried everything that you could possibly try. My family was a mess, my life was a mess, 
I had nowhere else to turn. And then I saw a sign. I he saw a physical sign that said, have you tried everything? Try Jesus. And in that moment, he gave his heart and his life to Jesus. His family was changed. Peace came amongst he and his wife and amongst others. And now he, is, was, he actually preached the message last week in our Spanish service. How does that happen? There's only one way that peace will come to your hearts. There's no way that you're going to get even for the things that have been done to you. But God can make things right here through his grace and his mercy. And that's what they found out at Woodlawn. And that's what many others and many of you know about as well. But when that happens, God doesn't want you to have that kind of peace. He doesn't want you to have that kind of reconciliation in your life. He will do, or the devil doesn't want you to do that. God wants that. The devil doesn't want that. You knew that part, right? You filled in the dots. The devil doesn't want that for you, so he'll do anything possible. He'll use anything possible to steal, kill, and destroy, and bring all kinds of just madness into your life and into your relationships, and he'll use people to do that as well. Tony Nathan found that out, and uh, Coach Gerald's found that out as well. As Christ followers, when we face adversity sometimes, it's easy to revert back to the ways that we see around the world when, when things aren't going well, or not the way we want them to go. By yelling louder than the other person, reverting to things like name-calling, or being nasty with others, or even trying uh, to, to argue or yell our way uh, to get what we want to happen. In the civil rights movement, uh, back in the 60s and 70s, I don't think it's any accident that the men that led that movement had the, name, the word pastor in front of their names. Pastor Martin Luther King Jr., Pastor Fred Shuttlesworth, and they believed that change would happen not through violence, not through hate, not through yelling or hurting others the way that they had been hurt, but instead through nonviolence. Dr. King said this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So as I've listened uh, in various videos and, and accounts of the, the movements, I've heard uh, that change did not happen, as people have remembered, not just because there were marches, not just because there was different things that were happening or, or petitions. Change happened because in between those marches, in between those sit-ins, there were people on their hands and their knees praying, seeking God, seeking hope, seeking change, seeking the Lord. That's what was the fuel that, that brought change in communities and hearts and in people. Paul said it this way, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. So we're Christ's ambassadors in the world, ambassadors of, of peace and harmony and reconciliation, bringing people back to God and, and back together with each other. So how can we do that? Do we do that by screaming louder or calling names 
or acting like the world, belittling people? Is that how change is going to come? I don't think so. On November 8th, 1974, 42,000 people gathered into Legion Field in Alabama for the largest state football game in history, where Banks, the, the rival school, met Woodlawn. Both schools were undefeated. Tony Rutledge, or Jeff Rutledge, led the Banks uh, high school team. Tony Nathan, many considered the, the best tailback in the country. They would meet together, and they would meet under one name. Check out this last name. I believe that there is only one way that people can change. There's only one person that can change someone's heart, their family, their marriage. There's only one person that can change a community, a city, a country, a world. That person is Jesus Christ. It's only through grace. It's only through mercy. It's only through forgiveness. I want to see that so badly for you. I want to see that so badly for us, for the city of Houston. I want to see that in our country. So today I want to invite you. Do you want to see that? Do you want that in your heart? There's some candles up here. I'm going to invite Pastor Eddie to come up. And just like I'm lighting Eddie's flame, just to invite you to come. If you want that in your life, if you want to see that happen in us, come grab a candle. Light yours. Find a place to stand. We'll sing in a sec. Come on up if you want to see God do something amazing through and in us. God is me. And I'm standing here today in, in representation of us. And I'm, I'm just so thankful for the way that you love us. And God, I'm thankful that your love pours into us so much that it removes everything else. And God, my, my prayer for us this morning would be that you open us up so that as your love pours into us that we can't help but spill it out on everything and everyone around us. That as we stand here with candles in our hands, that it, that's a metaphor for our hearts. That God, we burn with desire for you and the love that we have for you is contagious. That it catches everything around us on fire. And that you continue to reignite our love and our passion for you and for others more and more each day. God, be with us as we go out this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Stick around. You're welcome to stick around and join us for the, the last eight minutes of this. If not, yate.